before you. Lord, we pray that, uh, that our hearts might be open to that which you want to say to us. And Lord, pray today that, uh, that the truths that are contained in this will not just be, as Janine said before, truths that we just you know, get a head knowledge about. But that, Lord, it would really, really translate into our, our hearts and our very beings, the depth of our beings, and therefore transform our lives. Lord, help us in our sinful condition that we so, so often struggle with. Lord, to remember that there is nothing that we can do to earn your favour, but that you have reached out to us first and this passage reminds us today of that it reminds us today of the extent to which you would go in order to claim us for yourself we pray that that will really penetrate our hearts today for we ask it in jesus name amen i have a question for you this morning it is this In your opinion, what do you reckon God thinks about you right now? What do you think, here sitting here this morning in your seats, knowing what you do about who you are, about your own life, about your own situation and circumstances and things like that, what do you think that God thinks about you at this particular point in time? And along with that... Do you think that God's opinion of you changes depending on how well or not so well you are living out your faith in Christ? Interesting questions to ponder, aren't they? I mean, many followers of Jesus today think that uh, when they're doing okay in their Christian walks, you know, they're regularly, you know, they're praying, they're having a quiet time, they're being obedient to, to God and His Word, you know, most of the time, obviously not all the time, but, uh, but fairly regularly, then they can expect things to go pretty well for them because they believe that God is pleased with them. You know, as God looks down on me and because I'm doing the right thing, then, you know, I can sense His pleasure and His smile upon me. But on the other hand, when things aren't going so well in terms of our faith, when we're struggling with sin, when there's a, a lack of, of devotion to God, a lack of time for him and his word, when, the, when we're struggling with, you know, with all kinds of uh, things, we're missing church, we're not having that fellowship with other believers, we can think that at those times that God actually doesn't, is not pleased with us and therefore we can expect things not to go quite so well in our lives. We might know in our minds that God's love for us doesn't depend upon anything that we do or don't do. As we've been looking uh, you know, in the last few weeks that we are saved by, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. You got all those five solas nailed down? But the thing is when it comes to everyday living, when it actually comes to living out our faith, we can so often fall into the trap of practicing a works-based salvation. In other words, we operate on the basis that God's love for us 
And the extent of his love for us actually depends upon what we do or don't do. You know, a result of thinking this way, when we perceive, especially that we're doing things okay, that we're doing actually all right in our faith, you know, that God's sort of, you know, sort of really pleased with us, a result of that can mean that we can develop actually a sense of pride in ourselves. And that pride leads to a sense of, of kind of superiority and we start to look down on others who perhaps aren't going so well in their, in their walks with God. We can start to become very, very judgmental about how people are living out their faith, particularly if they're not, you know, in our minds, living it out as well as we are. And we can also somehow believe that God owes us. How blessed is God to have such a follower like me in his family? It's true. Alternatively, when we perceive that we aren't doing so well in our faith, we can lack that assurance of salvation. Am I really saved? Surely if I was a follower of Jesus, I wouldn't be struggling with the stuff that I'm struggling with in my life now. I wouldn't be living the way that I am and, and making the decisions that I, that, I, that I am now. Am I really saved? And of course when we start to think like this, it can also rob us of that joy that the Bible speaks so much about for the follower of Jesus Christ, the person who has put their faith in him, the joy that, that he talks about, that he says you know, that we can have in our day-to-day lives. A joy that, that actually um, is, is there even despite the most difficult of circumstances. Instead we find ourselves on this Seemingly never-ending treadmill of performance, trying with all of our energies to progress in the faith, but failing miserably time and time and time again. And because of that, we can lose heart very, very quickly. We can lose heart when we start to look at ourselves and our poor efforts in living out our faith. Can you relate to that this morning? Now, both of these ways of thinking, though, what they do is they actually really reflect an incorrect understanding of salvation and of the gospel. And in what Paul does in our passage today is he actually seeks to set out for us the glorious benefits, or if you like, the implications of what our justification actually means for us in our day-to-day lives as we live for Jesus in, you know, in, 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 in 21st century Australia, in 21st century Brisbane, Marumba Downs. We've heard a lot about justification over the past few weeks. And if you've been here, you've, you, hopefully you'll understand that what justification means is that a, a guilty sinner can actually be made right with God. We can actually have our sins paid for and forgiven in Jesus Christ and be brought into a relationship with God where we are declared righteous. Not guilty for all of our sins anymore. That God no longer... Is, uh, is, is, looks it down upon us with condemnation and with wrath. In fact, our whole standing before God is entirely changed. 
And the result of this justification, uh, Paul outlines several implications, if you like, of it. Benefits that belong to the person that puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn with me to Romans 5. And as Barry read to us through those verses, 5, 1 through to 11, we're going to look first of all in verse 1 because that's where we find the first implication or the first benefit or blessing of our justification through faith in Jesus Christ, and that is we have peace with God. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You ever found yourself in conflict with another person? Sometimes these kind of conflicts are fairly minimal and they can be sorted out fairly quickly, but other times they can escalate and they can get out of hand and we can find ourselves estranged from the other party. We can find ourselves in a situation where there's a hostility, an enmity, if you like, towards other, other people. There's a hatred, a, an ill will towards this person or these people. Of course, that develops then a, a sense of animosity and a sense of antagonism and therefore there is no peace between us and that person or those people. We lack peace. We admit it or not, this causes tension, it causes disharmony, it causes uneasiness. This is a situation that we face with God as sinners. We are God's enemies. We see that in verse 10 of our passage this morning. And whether we have actively you know, rejected God outright or you know, denied him or that sort of thing, it doesn't matter. It says that God is our creator. The Bible says he's our creator, our supreme ruler and authority in all things. And unless we have full allegiance to God, unless we recognise God as our creator, as the one who is sovereign over all, who is the ruler over all things, and we bow our knee to God, then we are enemies with God. We are estranged from him. We are not at peace with him. But more significantly, it is God who is not at peace with us. God is actually hostile to us. In our sin. We are people, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we are people, enemies with God. There is hostilities that are happening between us and God and we stand underneath the wrath and condemnation of God because of our sin. If we are not for God, then we are against him. God is against us. Now, many may feel at peace with God because they actually don't comprehend the holiness and the goodness of God. They don't understand the fact that God is creator, that he is supreme ruler and has authority over all things. And so they think that they can deny God, they can reject God, and it'll be okay that there is no, you know, there's no sense of, of disharmony or, or, or unease between us and God because they put God completely aside. 
But that does not change the fact that God is who he is. And because of our sin, the wrath of God abides on all all who do not believe in and obey Jesus Christ. And so our desperate need as God's creatures is to be reconciled to him and that peace comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul is talking about here is when we put our faith in Christ, when we recognise our sin and our need for our sins to be forgiven, our need for us to be put right with God in relationship with him. And so we put our faith in Christ as as the one who paid for our sins on the cross. We trust in him. We recognise the fact that we have, you know, we've got nothing in and of ourselves to give to God, but only as we come to God through Jesus Christ that we can actually have this restored relationship with him. There is no other way, the Bible says, to be restored to a right relationship with God apart apart from faith in Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The scriptures also tell us that you know, there is no other means under heaven by which men must be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning thinking that you know God is going to somehow you know weigh up your good, your good and your bad, and if your good actually outweighs your bad, then you're in. Then I'm sorry, I've got bad news for you this morning. Because no matter how good you may think you are, and no matter how much you might think that God owes you, God owes you nothing. And your bad outweighs your good. By the biggest stretch of our imaginations, you can, you know, it's just, we, we just cannot comprehend that. And unless you come and bow the knee before Jesus Christ and accept Him as your Lord and Saviour, accept His death on the cross as the payment for your sin, in order to be restored to God, then you are in serious trouble. If your life ended today or tomorrow or next week and you hadn't made, you hadn't been made right with God, then the Bible tells us that our destiny is hell. Eternal separation from God forever. And that means eternal torment and suffering. Paul says, for the one who has been justified through faith in Jesus Christ, we have what? We have peace with God. God is no longer at war with us. But instead, he's welcomed us into his family and into his warm embrace. And Paul goes on to speak about that in verse 2 where he says, through him, through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have access to God's grace. Anyone here been to London? Recognise this place? It's Buckingham Palace. If you were to go to Buckingham Palace in London today and ask to see the Queen... I'd be pretty certain that you would have 
next to no chance of getting in to see the Queen, right? Why? Because the Queen just doesn't accept, you know, anyone just to come in, knock on a front door and expect to, you know, to gain access to, uh, to her into her presence. However, if Prince Philip grabbed you by the hand and took you into the palace, he could get you in to see the Queen, no problem. Why? Because of his relationship with the Queen. He's her husband. He's got access to her at any time of the day, 24-7. Because of his relationship with the Queen, he, is going, he has this special access to her. Now, can I just say, this is a bit of a poor analogy, okay, because of the fact that we're just relying on relationship there, whereas you know, God's word tells us that there's a sin barrier that needs to be overcome, okay, in order for us to gain access to God. So yeah, there's a little bit of a poor analogy, but because of Christ's relationship with God and through what he has done for us on the cross, he takes us by the hand and he leads us into God's very presence. And he doesn't just do it once, but he brings us in and he says to us, you know what, this is now where you belong for good. It's like, you know, coming before a king, you have this person who might introduce you, you know, as, as such and such, who might, you know, comes in before. And oftentimes in old days, a person would come before the king. This person would be introduced by the, this courtier of the, of the king and they'd be introduced on the basis of who they were and, you know, and on the basis of their, um, you know, their status in society and that sort of thing. But Jesus comes before the Father and he leads us by the hand into the Father's presence and he says, this is the one whom I died for on the cross in order to pay for their sins. Father, this one's ours. And he belongs or she belongs with us. Paul says we've gained access into this grace in which we now stand. Paul pictures this grace as a realm in which we have been introduced to and which we have permanent access to purely because of Jesus Christ. We stand in it. It is a place of solid ground, a place where we belong by right, not because of what we have done ourselves, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And yes, we will continue to sin and we will continue to be overcome at times with our own guilt And at such times, we may think that God is angry with us. We may think that God is going to punish us. But what we need to do at those times is we need to be reminded of this wonderful truth that we stand in this place of grace because of Jesus. We stand in this place of grace and favour before God and that standing does not change. Despite what we do or what we don't do, it does not change. And everyone should be a... Praise God. Amen. Do we really understand this, folks? Has it really gripped our hearts to know just what our predicament was before Christ and the grace in which we now stand after Christ? of the fact that it was created by an act of God's righteousness not by our own 
The third point we discover in this passage this morning is that we have the hope of the glory of God which should then cause us to rejoice. Look again in verse 2. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The hope of the believer, the one who has been justified before God, folks, is not a wishful thinking. It's not the kind of hope that says, gee, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Or the kind of hope that says, I hope I win the lotto next week. No. It's a confident assurance that what God has said and what God has promised will indeed happen. That God is dependable 100%. Because we've been justified and have peace with God through Jesus Christ and we have this wonderful access into his divine favour, we can confidently look forward to being in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. If we've already been led into the presence of God now, then God promises that that is not going to change even when our life on this planet ends. We will be ushered into the very presence of God and it is there where we will start to begin to, 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 to see the, the extent of the, the majesty and the glory of God beyond anything that we can understand in this present life. We have this confident assurance that this indeed is going to take place. And folks, this is the grounds of our rejoicing, knowing that we have that confident assurance, knowing that it is indeed a foregone conclusion that that is our destiny. What God started, we he will finish. Our hope is this confident assurance in the promises and character of God. of that wait yes there's more that we ourselves as part of our future salvation that we will share in the glory of God because we will be made like him 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says we will indeed be made like Jesus Christ we will share in his glory Well, having all of these wonderful benefits as God's justified children, then does that mean that our earthly lives are going to be a bed of roses? No. Of course it's not going to be, and I'm sure that many here in this congregation today can attest to that fact. That even though we have gained this, this peace with God, access into his grace through faith, and we've got this wonderful hope that causes us to rejoice, we know that in this life that it's not going to be all a bed of roses. Paul in his own life speaks of you know, the, uh, the, some of the hardships that he, that, he, uh, that he encountered in his life as he, as he followed Jesus and as he lived his life for Jesus. You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. You can read a whole list of them there. We're not going to turn to them now. He speaks about beatings and you know, being, being beaten to the point of, of death. Of receiving, you know, lashes, you know, heat, um, you know, um, forty lashes minus one. Forty lashes was considered enough to kill a person. So one less than that was just to bring them almost to the point of death. You know, to be locked up, to be imprisoned, to be to be shipwrecked. 
Paul could have looked at all those things and said, you know, God is really not pleased with me at all, is he? But Paul had a different, better understanding of God. Jesus himself, the Son of God, endured all kinds of sufferings, didn't he? Ridicule, rejection, betrayal, hostility, ultimately death on a cross. So as his followers, we ourselves should expect to experience the same sort of things in our lives today, to experience suffering and trials. And, that, and Paul says there in verse, uh, in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. One of the most difficult teachings for us to get our heads around when it comes to particularly the New Testament where it speaks so often of the fact that we as followers of Jesus can rejoice in our sufferings. James, in the first few few verses of his letter, writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. When Jesus was going to the cross, we read in, I think it's Hebrews, it speaks about the fact that, you know, that, that, that although he was going to endure the cross, he saw it as a joy that was set before him. When suffering and hardship and things like that come, on, come into our lives today, it is so easy to quickly go into that mentality that these things are coming as a result of God's punishment on us. We can see it as a, as a, 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 a means of thinking, you know what, yeah, I've not been living you know, a really good life and, and so God's trying to just basically you know, punish me because I'm just not living up to his standards. This world is a sinful, broken world, folks. We live in a sinful, broken world and because of that we are going to experience pain and hardship and trouble because of the fact that indeed our world is corrupted because of sin. And we as broken, sinful people will hurt one another and we will experience trials and tribulations and things like that because of broken relationships. But as Christians too, we will also face trouble and hardship because of the fact that we actually proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We can expect additional hardships in this world through persecution and opposition because we hold out the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and as the only means of salvation. But Paul says... Even in the midst of all these kinds of sufferings and hardships, we can rejoice. And we can rejoice, firstly, because of what these things can produce in our lives. And it speaks of, of a few things there. It speaks about, you know, um, perseverance. On a little bit, fur- a bit further there. I'll just skip over that for a moment. It depends, of course, on our perspective as to how we view these sufferings, okay? How we view God in respect to his character and purposes. In other words, when these sufferings come upon our lives, 
it's our understanding of God and of his purposes and character will actually sort of start to form how we respond to those sufferings and hardships. If we think that God is a vindictive God, a malicious God, a God who punishes us every time we step out of line, then we'll see these sufferings as indeed, you know, that kind of, you know, that, those kind of things from God. But if we understand God as a loving God, a caring God, a good God, a perfect God, then we will start to see these sufferings in a bit of a different light. We will actually sort of start to see them as God's means of actually changing us and transforming us and maturing us in our faith and in our trust in him and growing us in our Christian walks. And so the way that we rejoice in our sufferings is not to see them as a picture of God against us, but in fact a picture of God for us. Now that's a hard thing, isn't it? As I said, these sufferings can produce positive things in our lives. The first is perseverance. And that is the ability to endure and a capacity to hold up in the midst of pressure, to not give in. How many times today do we see it when things start to get hard, people just want to give up? actually want to you know, develop a sense of, of stability and a sense of endurance and that sense of, you know what, I, I can come through a test and know that God will bring me through that and God will strengthen me in the midst of that. Only when, you know, God can't do that in, you know, when everything's going all rosy and all good. These sorts of things can only be developed in us and matured in us only when we actually go through such trials. But we don't go in them, you know, we don't go through them in and of ourselves, but we go through them with the help and the strength and the grace of God as our loving, caring Heavenly Father watching over us. And God is saying, I want to use these things to actually continue, continue to strip away that stuff which is, which is of this world and instead to start to sort of shine through you the beauty and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and something of my glory. We can be instruments in this world today which God uses as of showing his glory to the people around us and he can do that in the midst of our sufferings and hardships by producing perseverance. And of course, on top of that, it says that this perseverance also produces character. That character refers to this provenness under pressure. There's a bit of an there's, there's an admiration, isn't it, for people who actually are able to come through those difficult trials and actually to come through them in a means by which you know they, you know they've they've how can I put it? They um, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. They come through these these trials and they come out of it a much better person. They come out of it with this, with this real kind of, you know, depth of of character and of of stability in their lives. Those kind of people are admired today, aren't they? People who can go through the most difficult of circumstances and come out the other side stronger and better people.
provenness through trials. I've just had 10 weeks of long service leave and holidays. And I've got to tell you, I failed at this big time. Halfway through my time off when I'd done nothing that I'd planned to, that I missed out on some things that I was really looking forward to, and it looked like you know this, this cough and this sickness just would not let go. In a sense, inside me, I was shaking my fist at God and saying, Why? How bad things were going for me. And I had a little pity party. God's showing his glory through me in that kind of situation. I tell you, my family reckon they would tell you no way in the world. All that was being shown in that kind of situation was my sinfulness and my selfishness. on these last 10 weeks and I think what a wasted opportunity I had for God don't be like me Paul speaks about the fact that it also gives us an even greater hope an even greater settled confidence in God that will never ever disappoint us will never put us to shame as we persevere our character grows it matures and so does our hope because God becomes even more trustworthy. We, we prove God time and time again through these kinds of things. And therefore it deepens our hope and our trust in him. And hopefully it will increase your joy. Why can we have such a confidence in God? Paul goes on to say it is because God, God's great love. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. God's love is proven to us by his Holy Spirit. And that is one of the basis of God's of the confidence that we can have, this love that is proved by God putting his Holy Spirit within us, giving us his indwelling Holy Spirit, and through his Holy Spirit pouring out his love to us, saying, you know what, you are mine. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks about the Holy Spirit as God's seal of ownership on us, that we belong to him. And there is no greater joy that we can have in our lives, there is no greater certainty that we can have in our lives of knowing that we belong to God. He has poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And also it then goes on to say, of course, the greatest example of God's love for us is Jesus' death on the cross. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's a person who sort of, you know, always does the right thing, the goody two-shoes kind of person. Someone might care to die for them, consider it. 
for a person, for a good person, that is a person who, you know, sort of like lays their lives down for others, who, you know, that person who just is that really friendly, caring, kind person who, you know, goes out of their way to help others. Yep, someone will, would, would certainly dare even to die for that person. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our condition when God sent his son to die for us? Our condition when Jesus died for our sins? Verse 6, we were ungodly. Verse 8, we were sinners. And verse 10, we were enemies. That's when God sent his son to die for us in Jesus Christ. When we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. Not when we were at our best, not when we were, you know, we could sort of come to God and say, hey, look at all these, you know, all these things I can tick off my list, you know, God, you, you, know, you owe me something here. No, it's when we were at our worst. When we were covered in filth, the filth of our sin, the stain of our sin, Christ, Christ died for us. And so Paul says, if God loves us so much while we're in this state, then how much more can we be short of his love, knowing that we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ? I asked you at the beginning of this sermon, what do you, God, what do you reckon God thinks about you right now? What do you reckon God thinks about you right now? have that understanding of knowing that despite who I am, with all my failings, with all my weaknesses, with all of, all of the stuff, all of the, you know, the, 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 the stuff that goes in my life, all the baggage and stuff that goes in my life, God loves me. Love for him this morning has perhaps just been grown that little bit more because of his love for you. Folks, God loves you unconditionally. God could not love you any more than he already does. Let that sink in for a minute. Nothing can change that. And it's this same kind of love that God wants us to show to each other and to a world of people that are still his enemies. God wants people to know his love for them. And he wants to use you in that process. In the good times and in the difficult times. As recipients of his grace and love, we should certainly rejoice, shouldn't we? We should be the most thankful and joyful people on the planet, irrespective of our circumstances and our situations. And yes, we do not deny the difficulty of our sufferings and our hardships. But what we do affirm is that we know that God can be trusted we know that God can be depended upon and that he is able to use these as a means of glorifying himself. But most of all, we can rejoice in knowing 
that God has loved us with an everlasting, unconditional love. A love. Come around the communion table now, which just is a beautiful and fitting conclusion to our time in the Word of God today because this communion table, the elements here, the, the bread and the grape juice, speak about the extent of God's love for us through Jesus Christ. These elements speak of the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for each and every one of us as a sacrifice for our sin. Not only that, this table speaks of the welcome and embrace that is for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' invitation to come and, and eat at his table. Not just once off, but we are welcomed all the time. And we can do so free in the knowledge that we are no longer condemned by God that we are no longer recipients of his wrath, but instead recipients of his divine love and grace and mercy. That's what these elements speak of this morning. So if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, if you recognise Jesus today as your saviour, I invite you to partake of these elements today. We're going to ask the stewards who are to come forward in a second. We're going to distribute them. I want you just to take time this morning to reflect on that peace which Jesus has secured with God on your behalf. And I want you to reflect upon the access which is now ours by, by faith, that access to God's grace in which we stand by faith. I want you to reflect upon that knowing that there is nothing that can change that today. There is nothing that you can do or can't do that will change that truth that we have gained access into this wonderful grace through faith. And thirdly, I want you to reflect upon the fact that if you're going through hardship in your life today, if there are some, some struggles and some difficulties which you are facing in your life, I want you to see this morning that this table reminds you that God is not against you, that he is indeed for you, and he wants to use these things as a means of proving his love for you and a means of bringing you through to shine his glory through you. Let's pray. Father, we partake of these elements this morning. We want to give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. So often speak in church about his death and resurrection. We speak about the blood of Jesus. We speak about forgiveness of sins. We speak about the gospel and salvation. These are words and phrases which are used to communicate an incredible truth. To be your children and to experience the blessedness of a life that is lived in fellowship with you free from guilt and condemnation.